Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with the Iron Cowboy who did 50 Iron Distance triathlons in 50 states in 50 days. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we have a truly inspirational guest, the Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence, who's famous for setting two world records, both the number of half iron distance triathlons done in one year, and then in 2012, he also set a new world record for the number of full iron distance triathlons done in a single year. Then to top it all off, in 2015, he did 50 Ironman distance triathlons in 50 days and in all 50 states. So James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Doc. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you here. Obviously, this is a you know, pretty incredible thing. I mean, I've done some Ironman triathlons, and the most I ever did in a year was four, and I thought that was going to kill me. So uh, <laughs> I can't imagine doing 50 of them in 50 states in 50 days. I mean, it's just unbelievable, really and truly. So um, it's funny because we all talk about this, and, and when we're planning races, we talk about how difficult it is when you do one in – you know, overseas or, you know, if you're on the West Coast, then you do it in Florida, you know, the whole time change is kind of a killer. So like just doing <laughs> yeah. it back to back to back really makes that seem like, um, you know, sort of profound whininess on our part. Um, <laughs> but, but you did it. But that's not all you've done. You've done all these other things, too, recently, in fact. And, you know, we all know about the 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. But then I understand that more recently you went out and decided to climb Kilimanjaro on your mountain bike, 19,341 feet on a bike. And then you also just got back from running 235 miles through Greece. So, you know, I was hoping sort of as a start here, you could kind of share a little bit about your, what really inspires you and what is your inspiration behind each of these, you know, really dramatic events that you've done. Yeah. Every time that, uh, that I embark on this and kind of where my journey started was, um, I was working for a nonprofit called in our own quiet way. Um, and, and the half Ironman was a world record was kind of by accident. Uh, I was just going out trying to raise money for, for the charity and the charity at the time built dams in Africa. And, uh, they, they now have a, you know, woman's feeding group and, a, and an orphanage feeding center and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff that the charity's doing. But, uh, it just started out to try to bring some funds into the, into the charity. And, uh, it, that kind of, kick-started the whole journey and and whatnot that i've been on and every time that i do something like this um, we try to associate a, a charity or a cause with it um so that, that's always super important and in the forefront and then um i always like to to try to push boundaries and and push my me- mental and physical limits um and so that's always a, a huge secondary thing and then uh, I, a lot of people don't know but i've got five kids um and i'm always trying to to set examples for them as far as uh, setting goals and working hard and sticking to it and, and seeing things through. And so, you know, Kilimanjaro, we, we were raising money for uh, an orphanage there in, in, uh, in Tanzania. And then um, the, the run through Greece um, that, that we just did, it, it, it reenacted the, the time in history at 480 BC when Leonidas took his warriors and marched the trek from Sparta to Thermopylae before a huge battle. And it was it was really, really cool to, to go do that. We did it with a bunch of Navy SEALs and a bunch of civilians. And it was to raise money for the, the Glenn Doherty Foundation. Um, and what that does is it, it really helps transition guys and gals from the military, Navy SEALs, and, and all of those different branches into corporate world. 
these these guys and and girls have phenomenal skill sets. They're leaders. Um, they're intelligent, and then they just have a hard time coming into you know transitioning out of a very specific task and skill set that they've developed. Um, but they are they're, they're just born leaders, and they're super smart. And so it's a it's a great foundation that helps those guys transition into the rest of their lives. I mean, it sounds like um, you know obviously you have some really great causes, but obviously these feats that you undertake always bring attention to them. So with the group that you were went to do the whole run across Greece, how did you coordinate with the SEALs and all of the people that joined you in that? Yeah, it started out as a, or it was advertised as an official race. It was called the Sparta of 300, or the 300 of Sparta. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was just, it's, it's a really extreme uh, race, and so it kind of didn't appeal to the average weekend warrior. And so the Navy SEALs were planning to do, or this group that I was with were planning to do a race inside the race um, or an event inside the race. Um, and then and then as things kind of unfolded, they ended up canceling the official event, but then kind of did a test run through with our group um, to see if logistics and everything would work. So we were kind of the first ones to do it. And I think they're planning to do it every a- annually now to see if they can make it make it work. But it was it was definitely a unique experience. And the best part of it is the, the 20 guys that we had there collectively we were able to raise three hundred thousand dollars for the cause so so really really cool to to be part of that that is fantastic wow now you tell me about your um kilimanjaro trip one of my friends went um a couple years ago to climb kilimanjaro and it's really something it's not a simple climb first of all it's a big mountain and it's not that easy to get to so to just go climb it is pretty big ordeal for most people but you decided to do it on a a bike (laughs) so can you tell us about that yeah, I mean, I'm not a mountaineer, I'm not a climber, um, but it, it, it really is a spectacular mountain. Um, and it's in the category of climbs, it's it's one of the easier ones to do. It's like, it's, it's no Everest right. um, by any stretch. But uh, but yeah, a, a guy from California, him and his son wanted to take on this challenge and they invited me along to do it. So I joined up with them and attacked the mountain and it was a very you know different experience. The mountain itself goes through four different major climate changes it's got the rainforest the kind of desert area and then the volcanic scree is the last section up at the top and uh you know you're dealing with really really cold temperatures you know over the last four miles and the last four miles had four thousand feet of gain in it um so the, you know it, it, the mountain threw threw a lot of stuff at us but i just got it this past week the video kind of montage that they put together from that day and maybe we can put a link to it in the podcast notes yeah it was, it was a lot of fun and uh, what really stood out to me was how kind and simple the people were over there and how really happy they were i mean they they, they have nothing it's crazy how many years behind they are as far as technology and, and systems and ways to do things um but it was really really cool to see how they still super super happy and loved life they love to sing and they love to dance um, so it's just really neat to be to be part of that and taken out of our super fast paced lives, right. um, and, and and put into the, more of that atmosphere. And it was kind of nice. No, oh, that's fantastic. Another one of your um, uh, sort of missions has been to fuel the fight against obesity. So can you tell us about how that got started? Yeah, um, you know we talked about how I have five kids, and uh, I'm, you know I go to the schools schools all the time, drop them off, pick them up. I'm active um, in the school system, and so. You know, I, I look back on my school days, and I could remember the name of the one, maybe two, maybe three kids that had a weight problem. Um, and now it's fifty percent or more of the class. Right. 
Um, and, and so it just really jumped out at me and we do a lot of stuff with our kids and try to keep them active. And obviously Sonny and I, my wife, we try to be active role models for our kids in our community. And so we, for the 50 Ironman campaign, we wanted to go across the country and really involve people and try to get them moving again. And so as part of the Ironman every single day, we did a structured 5k that the public came out and joined us. And all of that money went to the Jamie Oliver foundation. They were a great partner to have to just a good experience. And I, I go around now um, as part of what I do is I, I go around speaking to corporations and groups. And it's always interesting to, to see the dynamic of the individuals in the group and who comes up and talks to me afterwards and, and how it impacted them. We're trying to just continue the movement of, of encouraging people to move their bodies and eat better foods and just get back to more mainstream things, just simpler things that are could have a huge impact on, on your health and wellness. You know, a couple of crazy statistics is this is the first generation that, you know, the parents are slated to outlive their kids. And that's always a, that's always a crazy thought. And obesity and the things that we're putting in our body and, and our sedentary nature, it's the leading cause of death. It's the lead contributor to cancers and diabetes and strokes and all of these things. And so it all stems from our lack of activity and the, the quality and the amounts of food we're putting in our bodies. Right. It's true. It was exactly the same way for me. Like you mentioned, when I was in um, you know, elementary school, literally there's one kid that was obese. Yeah. One. Yep. And that was it. One. And now it is true. It's just like it's half of them. It's really sad. Something's got to change. The reason it's sad and tragic is because it's the fault of the parents. That's right. The children are a product of their environments. I don't know any two, three, four, five, six-year-old that jumps in his, his, his own car, drives to the, the supermarket and picks his own groceries and then prepares it for himself. Right. Um, I don't know a single one. It's our responsibility. I and mean, we had these kids, we brought them into the world and it's our responsibility to not poison them. And uh, it's not their fault. You serve as a great role model for your kids, but that's very difficult when you have kids in your training. Uh, because like you said, you want to be involved. You want to you know, take on this responsibility and be there to prepare good food for them, be involved with them. But it's very difficult to really balance all that. You know, when I was doing my largest blocks of Ironman training, my son was about three or four years old at that time. And it, to me, it took a lot of creativity to fit all the workouts in. And some days I would actually take him to the playground and put him on the play structure and then just let him play on the play structure where I literally ran circles around the playground. And when he got worn out though, when he just had had enough, then we'd leave. Sometimes I would get eight miles sometimes I get up to 15 miles just running circles around the playgrounds and on other days you know I'd put them on the seat on the front of my mountain bike and I'd ride from San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge around Tiburon let him play on the playground over there and then we'd ride back that was actually really fun because he was you know right in front of me we'd talk about all the things that we'd see along the way but that was just one kid and at the time I only had one kid so it was pretty easy and it was fun but I understand like you said you've got not only a son, but you have four daughters as well. So I'm really curious how you fit in all the time required to be a husband and a father and an athlete. How do you balance all that? Because I know I talk to patients all the time who have a lot of difficulty with that. So what can you share with our listeners about that balance? The younger they are, the more difficult it is because they're at home. And you have to have a high tolerance for monotony, I guess. I would do a lot of indoor trainer rides. Oh, yeah. um, I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of treadmill runs. I do a lot of, you know, jumping on and off of the bike and the treadmill and getting something for for one of the kids or, or something. And you know, you just you just have to adjust your schedule and be creative. Like you said, you would you would take them with you, and I would. I'd go on runs and uh, I'd run, and my kids would ride my their bikes beside me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when you when you do it that way and you involve them in the process, they're not resentful because they're part of it and it's time with mom or time with dad. And then also you have to be willing to get up 
earlier. I mean, my wife, you know, when she was training for her Ironman, she was up at three thirty, four o'clock, um, and that was something that she was willing to do in order to not have it impact the time with the kids. One of my best friends, one of my wingmen from the fifty, um, his name's Casey. He's a second grade school teacher, and he trains full time for not for Ironmans, um, and he'll do it. He'll put his kids down, and then he'll he'll train eleven, twelve o'clock at night. Wow. You know, wake up and do it, do an early session in the morning as well. And so there's time in the day for what you want to get done. Obviously, there's sacrifices for certain things. And sometimes it's sleep and sometimes it's other things. But it's whatever you make a priority. If you choose to involve your kids in the process, then it can be a really good thing because they're sponges. They're they're looking at everything you're doing. They, they understand and get hard work and sacrifice. And, and then when they're really young, it's just good time with mom or dad. Yeah, it's true. They do, they do absorb that. And my um, son, like I remember last year, maybe, we're at the lake and I was on the dock and, and he said, Daddy... I think I can swim across the lake. And I said, okay, you know, <laughs> I just sort of like, okay, you know, whatever. I'm sort of like, I'm going to be an astronaut or something, you know. And I turned around and he was three quarters of the way across the lake. You know, life preserver or anything else. He was just swimming sure. across the lake, you know. And then I remember, but I had this moment where I thought, wow, this could be trouble if he gets into trouble. Like I can swim, but he's, you know, now quite a long way away. Right. Um, But they do, they just, you know, and they just get that whole attitude of like, you really can't accomplish anything as long as you're willing to just put in the work and the effort. And I think that that's certainly a valuable lesson for them. But, you know, shifting gears a little bit, just to back to your 50-50-50, I'm curious about this because I have a practice that focuses primarily on helping injured runners run. And if you want to run, you have to stay healthy. That's just a given. If you get injured, it becomes very difficult to not only run at your desired pace or to, you know, even to accomplish your goals. And obviously, you've set out, at, you know, to accomplish really audacious goals, not just the world records in the 70.3 and Ironman distance um, in a year, but then this whole 50, 50, and 50 thing. As endurance athletes, we all track metrics of all different kinds. And, you know, whether it's heart rate, power output, average speed, average pace, whatever. Um, But I noticed on your website that you kept track of some really interesting things uh, and you even posted them on your website. So not only like calories burned, but also caloric intake and how many calories you took in yesterday during this event and all that sort of stuff. But like you recorded, I think, 17 avocados, you know, 110 bananas, 110 potatoes. And it's interesting because you were paying, I mean, obviously you're tracking it, so you're paying attention to it. Whereas most athletes, if I ask them, what did you eat yesterday? They have to really think about it to think about what they had. And if I ask them how much in terms of volume, they usually cannot tell. Um, and these are all people that are training for marathons and Ironmans and all kinds of other stuff. So they, they have obviously a solid understanding of nutrition, but they're not tracking it in the way that, that you were. And then not only nutrition, but then you talked about recovery in terms of these things that you have tracked as well, like you know, 78% massage therapy and chiropractic, 32% electric stimulation, 76% compression with Normatec, and 32% compression with CEP gear. So I think it'd be really great if you could just share with our listeners about these different metrics that you track in terms of food intake, caloric intake, different methods of recovery that you used throughout this 50 days in a row. And how do you think these things really help promote healing and prevent injury throughout that 50 Ironman in in 50 day event? It's funny. I have a, I I coach, I coach a lot of athletes and I I had a conversation with one of them yesterday and he wanted to switch 
um, his style of eating to a, a trend that's happening right now. I won't, I won't say which one, but um, <laughs> because because if you do, it'll make the podcast less relevant. Uh, because there'll be a different trend five years from now, right? I, I, I know it's so ridiculous. Um, people just shit eat real food. Um, so so, but but he was like, I want to I want to change this up, and uh, and I said, oh okay, um, we we can do that. And I said, but what what are you what are you eating now? Um, what are your, what's your percentage of fats? What's, you know, carbs, what's, you know, proteins, how, how's your breakdown? Um, and, and he, he was like, well, I, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, before we make any big changes, do me a favor and let's track your food just with an app. Just, just track what you eat for the next three days. Don't change anything up. Just eat what you would normally eat and be honest about it and then just track it. And then, then we can have a conversation about changing it to, something else but if you don't even have a, a start line or, or or baseline how how are you going to change it and so i always i always find that interesting that people you know jump on these things and but they're not they're not keeping track of or have a knowledge base of what they're currently doing mm-hmm. um and and so you know to 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 be successful in anything i think you need to know what you're up against and then how to overcome it and, and make changes and, and that all comes down to tracking um, it's not fun. It's not gl- glamorous, um, but it, but it's super super effective, um, and and I think it's it's very insightful more than anything else. It, it teaches us things about what we're doing because you know we just go through the day and we pick up this here, pick up that there, and put it in our mouths and whatever, and we don't realize the effect and and the how it all adds up on top of each other. For the fifty, we thought we had a good game plan of what we were going to eat. We were trying to consume as many quality foods as we could. We were trying to promote childhood obesity, not promote it, but prevent it and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We have a whole I, industry that already promotes the idea of obesity. Actually, yeah, <laughs> I, I made that mistake on a, a live newscast on the fifty. <laughs> Just, I was I was so out of it. My, my wife was like, "No, no, 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 we're not promoting it." <laughs> but in, in, anyways. Um, you know, I lost about seven pounds over the first week, um, if not more. Um, and we realized that, okay, we need, we need to really go back to start tracking this and what you're eating. And everything just got so chaotic that, that we lost track of it really quick. Mm. And so what I did is I, I had my phone with me the whole time. And anytime I opened anything or ate anything, I had to take a picture of it and send it to a designated person. Oh. And then that person would upload it. And that's how we started to really tr- effectively track. I mean, I got really, really lean. But I was able to maintain a lot of my muscle. I finished at the same weight that I started, so my wow. body comp- my body composition changed, but I didn't wither away to, to nothing. Right. Um, and it was because we did. We started tracking and realizing, okay, you're you know you need more protein, or you need more carbs, or you need more fats. Um, and so we did the best we could with what we had. The behind the scenes of this thing is, is nuts, which is why my book right now is getting such real great reviews is because it just, it just launched and, um, the feedback we're getting is people are really enjoying to see what it really took to do this and the behind the scenes stories. And, but yeah, it really came down to us tracking and, and being meticulous with it. It's difficult. It's hard to eat 10 to 12,000 calories a day on the move. I mean, I didn't have one goo pack, fueling for an Ironman a week from now I'm not it's not it's different than a racing an Ironman and I can fuel when I'm done with with food I had to be fueling with food all day long because I was I had to to continue to be looking one two three ten days ahead we tracked my heart rate and my power and my paces and all those things and then we were tracking 
the different things I was feeling in my body, different ailments, um, different pain cycles. Um, and that was super interesting for, for us to see. And I was always happy when I was always feeling something, um, but I was always happy when, when I wasn't feeling the same pain more than two or three days in a row. Right. And it was shift. It was some, something else in my body. And that, and that meant my body was, my body and my mind were adapting and evolving as we progressed through this. Um, Cause if, you know, if you've got something that that's, bugging you consistently over a long period now, now you've got an injury right exactly. so i so i was super happy that it was moving around i mean obviously i had certain things that that were were constant um just because of the nature of what i was doing but for the most part it was great to see ailments moving around my body um wake up you know i get halfway through day and i'm like oh i don't feel that anymore but i you know i feel something else uh, but that was that was always a good sign that it was, you know, it sucked that it was something new, but it was great that it wasn't the old thing because, I mean, my body figured out how to how to work through that. Um, and then, yeah, you know, people always ask me, what uh, what's the one thing you did there that ensured your success for recovery? Um, and the answer is, it's not one thing. Success comes from doing a lot of little things consistently over a long period of time. And so it was, it was a myriad of 10, 15, 20 different things that I did for recovery that enabled me to to continue to move and to, to keep on this journey. Um, and like you said, we did, we did the compression boots, compression clothing. We did electric stem. My chiropractor would come in every weekend. We would do cold laser. We do laser acupuncture. We do manipulation. We do scraping. Um, uh, we would do, uh, you know, just so many different things. And so I can't, I can't pinpoint one thing that I did. Um, uh, it's, it's just, just people, unfortunately want one answer and it, there's just so many things that goes into being a success a, a successful actor on the big screen doesn't just work on um, their lines they're working with voice coaches and posture people and there's so many different things that they're working on in order to be a high level actor right. well, as, as athletes we, we can't just focus on one thing we've got to really draw out all of our weaknesses and make those our strength, and then really continue to work on the strength and do all of the little things that will allow you to keep moving. People need to, to get into the mindset of preventative instead of problem-solving down the road. You, you have to do both because things are going to come up and you have to problem-solve. But if your whole game plan is to just problem-solve, it, it's going to stack up on you. So you have to be preventative and then problem-solve when issues uh, present themselves. Yeah. You know, it's true. It's like we all want one answer. We all want to think about one thing. And and it's true. Actors, musicians, they all do this. In fact, I saw a guy, he's a, fa you know, he's a rock star, right? So he's a famous musician. And he's like, okay, well, we need to wrap this up pretty soon here. I think I got it. I think I know what to do now and run without pain. And, and he said, okay, well, I, you know, I've got to go because in a minute my piano teacher is going to be here. And this guy's a bass player in a rock band. And I said, well, that's interesting. I didn't know you play piano. And he said, well, I, I don't play piano in the band, but I'm always trying to perfect my craft. And that means doing anything that's associated with, with my musical ability. You know, you would think somebody that's a bass player in a, in a rock band who's famous would just play bass guitar all the time. Right? For, for sure. And it's like that with actors. It's like that with athletes. So you have to understand biomechanics. You have to understand nutrition. You have to understand sleep. You have to understand, you know, stress reduction, all the things that contribute to that success. And, and it's really interesting the thing you said about the 50 event being a process, basically, where you were able to learn and adapt and change throughout it and modify as you go. Because as athletes, we're sort of taught this idea of, you know, somebody trains their whole life for one event, you know, for 
uh, the Olympics or for the Boston Marathon or one particular thing. And even the way that we're sort of taught to think about it, you know, we think, okay, well, you need to get to maximum fitness for that one race. If things start going poorly throughout the race, you try to adjust, mitigate the damage, stay on pace, just make it through, and then you can recover afterward. But obviously, if you're going to do 50 Ironmans in 50 days, you are not going to have that opportunity to just sit back and recover. You have to continue to do the same thing every day without breaking. So, you know, it really is instructive and and helpful for people to understand, I think, that it is so much of a process and it's all these different things. And almost never do I see an athlete figure out what they've done to themselves and why they're getting injured when they're running. And I just say, oh, well, you just have to do this one thing and you'll heal and then you'll be fine. And it's just like, okay, it depends on what you want to do. Um, but you, all of these things will help. And then we talk about this list of things that can contribute to their success and faster healing. And then they can choose how many of those they want to do. But the more stuff that they do that will get them accelerated in the right direction will help. And obviously, you're doing many different things to keep you on track so that you didn't break during this event. And like you said, in, in the end, not only did you finish it, but you were basically the same body weight, just a slightly different composition. So, yeah, I, th- I, I think people are are also shocked to to hear that leading up to it i did a lot of power lifting oh, um, yeah. strength strength and explosion and olympic style um moves um you know and and i, I attribute my strength training to, uh, to a huge you know a huge reason why i, I don't have a ton of injuries and and if an injury uh, you know something creeps up it it is quickly resolved um i'm very very durable right. um and, and I think that's one of the most overlooked aspects of training. Um, people are like, I, I got to throw in a, an, an extra swim, an extra this, or an extra, you know, 10 miles on my bike. And if you were to take that time and allot it to strength training, you would see your power go up. I've been saying this for a long time. Ironman is a power and strength sport. It's not an endurance sport. What I mean by that is I'd be hard-pressed for anybody to find a person at the finish line of an Ironman that would say the following my heart rate was so high i had to slow down um my legs felt great it's it's always the opposite man my heart rate was my heart rate was so low but my legs were felt like bricks and i couldn't even i could barely i couldn't muster up a run i had to walk right. and it, and it comes everything comes down to muscular endurance right. if you if you're doing training your, your cardiovascular system will align itself It'll be a it'll be a byproduct of what you're doing, um, and so just just by just by training your your heart rate and cardiovascular system will put itself into check. But it's the your I guarantee you your limiter unless you're you know there, there's those outliers there's those genetic people but ninety percent of the field ninety percent of the field who is your weekend warrior maybe ninety five weekend warrior uh, bucket list Ironman guys. Um, your limiter is going to be your muscles, the, the amount of muscular endurance that you can, you can produce. Everybody always says, oh, I had a great bike, but, it was, but I, you know, I, had a, I had to walk the run. Well, you didn't have a great bike because you pushed too hard, you didn't execute properly, and, and you suffered on the run. Right. But it was, all, it was all because you didn't have the proper muscles in order to do it, and it's because they don't do their weight training, and... And, and heart rate shouldn't be your first metrics of feedback. It should be pace on the run and power on the bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it really is. It, it, but, you know, it's not simple. I mean, there's part of it is, I think, you know, when you talk about people who 
you know, have that idea of just doing an Ironman and they realize it's a pretty big undertaking. And then, and I know this is true for me when I started, um, there's so much information. So there's all this stuff about training and then there's all this technical stuff about equipment and speed suits and bikes and helmets and, you know, power meters and everything else. And, and then I think it becomes extremely overwhelming to, you know, oh, it's mass confusion. Oh, it really is. And so, you know, and I, I mean, I don't know how many times I've been out on bike rides and, uh, I mean, I have aero wheels, but you know, I've done lots of Ironman. So I think it's worth having aero wheels. I, I have a power meter, but I have people will always, will frequently, you know, start talking to me about wheel selection and stuff. And they're going to spend thousands of dollars on wheels. I'm like, do you have a power meter? Yeah. And like, well, no, no, I don't, that's an advanced thing. I just want to go faster. <laughs> thinking, you don't yeah, need it, it, a more aero set of wheels. You need to know how to produce yeah. power consistently for hours. That's what you exactly. need to know. You need to know exactly how many watts you can pump out and still run a marathon. Aero wheels Preach won't on. make you run that marathon. No, they, they, they won't. And, and back, you know, a decade ago, um, yeah, I can see power was um, a, a huge cost, $2,500 in this. I mean, you, you, can get, you can get power now for less than 500 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's really affordable now. Um, it, it's it, the first, like I, like I said, I, I coach, I've been coaching for a long time, and, and my athletes that use power – are, are oh, outperform the ones that don't hands down every single time. Right. Um, and, and it's because it's an unbiased form of feedback. Right. Um, you, your heart rate can fluctuate so drastically. Um, ad- adrenaline, caffeine, um, pro- you know, how long it's been since your last meal, your fueling strategy, temperature outside, your mood, your stress levels, you know, the, your, your heart rate can fluctuate five to 10, 15 beats. Well, that puts you into a different zone. Now, what do you? You don't even know what you're doing, and so, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate. The it's fortunate and unfortunate. The the internet and the inf- flow of information is incredible, um, but it's also super confusing. And my advice to to people is, um, you know, find a credible source and stick with it. Um, and I'm not saying everybody has to go get a coach. And you know, you know, we advertise online and. There's always those guys that criticize, oh, you're just trying to take people's money and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no, all of our clients are extremely satisfied. And it's because Ironman racing has an incredibly steep learning curve. Oh, yeah. And and you may be a seasoned athlete and and understand these things. And you're currently taking for granted the the wealth of information that you've accumulated over the, you know, the, the past, however long you've been racing. But to the newest athlete, it's not common knowledge, and and the learning curve truly is steep. And, and with Ironman being kind of faddish, um, you know, you know, people want to jump. They they skip over sprints, Olympics, halves, and go right in. They want bucket list. I'm going to do a full Ironman, and they jump right in. Well, you, you man, that that learning curve, like I said, is steep, and, and you really need to find someone that you trust to help you, you know, get through this. You know, I, I had someone send me a message just, just this morning. Hey, I'm doing an Ironman at the end of July my first one, what's your, what's your best piece of advice for me? And, and my response was slow down, <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the day. You only get one chance to do your first Ironman. Yeah, and, and, and I, and I, I hate seeing people invest time, money, effort, sacrifice, all this stuff 
to go out and have a miserable experience because they didn't, you know, invest maybe a little bit more um, to ensure themselves a, a, a better experience because as coaches, and, and you know this, being in the sport for a long time and, and by being a doctor and an expert in the field, you 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 take away um, that worry of, am I doing this right? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too little? And if you could, I mean, everything I do in my life, I look to mentors and coaches. I'm not trying to trying to blaze blaze this kind of, you know, I need to figure this out on my own and be, be super stubborn. There, there's something to be said about other people having experiences and sharing that knowledge with you. It can only help or benefit you. That's right. I was self-coached for a long time. And I got to be pretty fast, but that's because I put in years of time learning all this stuff. And because I see athletes and treat athletes, I was interested to learn it all. But it took years to do that. After gaining years of experience, of course, I could get through an Ironman without all of those worries that plague new athletes. Because I knew what would work and what would not work. I knew how much fluid I could drink. I knew how much I had to drink. I knew what I needed to eat. I knew how much power I could put out. And, and in fact, even one time, sort of on a dare, I did an Ironman with zero training for like four or five months before the event. When that was over with, and I was discussing that with my sister, yeah, I did it. And she said, well, yeah, but everybody can't do that. And it's not because of my physiology. It's because I knew what worked. I knew what wouldn't work. I, I knew about the, so I had the nutrition part down that, you know, you don't have to train to have the nutrition part down. I had the, the hydration part down. I had a power meter. I knew for sure. I was like, I could go all day at this wattage and still run. It's not that difficult. If you know how fast is fast and how slow is slow enough that there's no possible way you could run out of gas, it's easy to do it. But that's where a coach comes in because the coach has all of that experience and even more because unlike one individual who's done a whole bunch of Ironman races, somebody that has been coaching athletes has the accumulative experience of all of their athletes that they've ever trained. And yep. so, although I have a lot of experience and, you know, and I can maybe give some tips to people on what they can do, I could race for the rest of my life and not have as much cumulative experience as somebody that's been coaching groups of athletes to make it through these races. And somebody like you, obviously you have this sort of special talent of working with athletes and not just getting them to an Ironman race and, and completing it, but also helping them get out of obesity and, and into iron distance shape and fitness. And, you know, I actually read a quote from one of your athletes and he said, six months, all it took was six months of training with Team Iron Cowboy to go from a fat guy who couldn't run a mile to a less fat podium winning triathlete. And uh, truthfully to me, that sounds as outlandish as doing 50 Ironmans in 50 days. So, you know, maybe you could tell us more about that. Like, you know, why you've really taken up coaching with athletes and, and your approach with them. Yeah, I started coaching in 2010. Um, just because I had a lot of experience and, you know, I really like what you said is now I've done 80, you know, 87 Ironmans and over 50 half Ironmans, which is a ton of hands-on experience. But accumulatively, if you take how many Ironmans and half Ironmans my athletes have finished and that I've got them through, I mean, I'm well into the hundreds, right. um, you know, and so that, I, I love that perspective. Um, but, but really, you know, you take an athlete who is trying to figure things out and, your typical athlete's going to do a lot of overtraining. Um, they're going to do a lot of effort in the wrong zones. Um, they're not going to be paying attention to, um, you know, the the recovery aspect of things. You know, you, you see successful people in, in the business world that's 
work, work harder and achieve more. And, and it's kind of flowed over into um, the athletic world that you, you have to work harder and you do, but it has to be in different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't just keep pushing your body and expect it to, to respond. You, you have to take your body through a process of stress, recover, and adapt. And most people miss out on that recover phase. One of my assistant coaches, her name is Carly. I've coached her for years. I always fought her on on her wanting to do more, wanting to do more, and not recovering. And um, now that we've got her understanding how it all works, now that she's a coach and, and has learned a ton, um, seeing how it works with different athletes, um, she's really applied it to her own training. And uh, we had a conversation the other day where she was like, my run just isn't you know, getting, getting faster. And, uh, and she goes in the old days, I would have added in more speed work, done more long runs and pushed the pace even harder in order to get faster. And she never would see results. And I said, I want you over the next, you know, three, four months to really stick to what you've learned and how we coach, meaning 80% zone one, zone two recovery. And then the other 20% is going to be your intervals and your high intensity. And she did. And what happens is, is we never know when our bodies, because we're all unique and individual, are going to truly adapt and evolve from the training. But you have to give it that respect to recover and the opportunity to adapt. And just two weeks ago, she went... My mile average repeats dropped 30 seconds per mile. Um, And her body just finally started to absorb the work because she was giving it the recovery that it needed. So by staying the course and, and, you know, her old mindset would have been, I need, I need to have a breakthrough. I need to, I need to push the pace faster. I need to do more work. Um, and instead she put more focus and attention a little bit in the weight room and more on recovery and all of the little things that she needed to be doing, staying to the percentages and everything that we had laid out for her. And then she is really starting to click and come together. I did a bike ride with her four hours last Saturday. It was just a completely different athlete from six, six, eight months ago. She's going to go from a middle of the packer to in July, I, I would throw down a lot of money and, and say that she's going to qualify for the world championships. When using a coach, you know, you get all this experience, but you have to trust your coach. And for sure, that's the big thing. And uh, well, the the, uh, the the bigger thing is trusting the time frame in order to achieve a big goal. Uh, people don't respect the time it takes for your body to change and evolve. You're talking about covering 140 miles if we're talking about iron distance racing in an efficient manner, and then trying to speed that up. Well, people just go out and they, they start working with the coach and in th- you know two, three months, they don't see the results that they wanted. Well, you know, you know what? Your body takes time to adapt and evolve. You need to really stick with the program. And so I think it's, it's almost unfair when athletes go on with the coach, switch and, and jump around. To different, if, if they've truly found a good one, do not jump around and jump around. Just stick with the coach and I- interview them first. Find out what their philosophies are, what their beliefs are, what their experience is, how their athletes are doing, how their athletes feel about them, all those things. I mean, do your due diligence on a, on a coach and what they believe in and how much experience they have. Uh, but then just really stick with it. Trust them and go all in on the process. I would throw out a guarantee, a full-on guarantee. If any athlete, any in the world, whatever level you're at, comes and joins um, a quality coaching staff that they trust and believe and sticks with them for a year and does what they say, if any of my athletes come to me after a year and can prove to me and show me all their data for the past year, if they have not improved significantly, I'll give you all your money back. Right. Um, I believe I believe in it so wholeheartedly 
um, that consistency over a long period of time will absolutely breed results. Right. Well, that's it. You know, I think a lot of people, they, they decide that, you know, they're looking for the, the magical coach, the person with the secret answer, and they're looking for a shortcut. And, you know, as you said, it takes time. And, you know, there's a famous quote, it's used a lot in the business world, but, you know, it's that a, a shortcut is the fastest way to get someplace you don't want to go. But, you know, in spite of that, it actually seems like you have developed some special shortcuts that kind of help these beginning athletes, people trying to get out of obesity to, to get from that place of inactivity and, and obesity to endurance fitness and better health. So what can you tell us about that in terms of when you help your athletes who are, you know, novice athletes who are trying to get from this place of basically sedentary life and obesity right. to evolving into endurance, fitness, and better health. If you think about this idea, this old idea that really has no basis in science of, you know, you should increase your distance and mileage by 10%. Well, if you take somebody who's obese and who's sedentary and they want to do an Ironman, if you increase their their mileage by 10%, you know, intervals, well, they're going to die before they get to do 140 miles. So you know, tell us about the shortcuts that you use in your training that kind of get people on this fast track to being able to go from being completely sedentary to being to actually do an iron distance race yeah the big the biggest thing is just getting them, them moving I, I try to get my athletes to focus a lot initially on food especially if they're on the bigger side of things getting their weight down is key to keeping them healthy and, and staying fresh but just just getting them moving and building their confidence in, in what they're doing you're asking about what shortcuts do i use and there, there truly are no shortcuts right. and i talk to my athletes i'm like look how committed are you? We're not we're not training for an Ironman. We're training to give you your life back. An Ironman is going to be a milestone in the journey that you're on, but it, it's not everything. You're, you, that's going to be a blip in what we're doing and the direction that you're going. Mm-hmm. So are you are you doing this to do an Ironman? Or are you doing this to change your life? Right. Um, and an Ironman is a brand. It's a one day activity, um, and it's a great motivator for people, and, and and it's a great thing to put people on the path. But nothing. I, I'm not impressed. Now, take this with a grain of salt and don't don't lynch me immediately. <laughs> I'm not impressed with the individual that has been on a weight loss journey and then accomplishes an Ironman and then reverts right back to their old habits and puts the weight back on. Right. What, it, what impresses me is when an individual truly makes a life change. And goes and trains for an Ironman, does an Ironman, and then goes into sustainable, healthy living. That that's what impresses me. The individual that truly absorbs what they're doing, learns, educates themselves, and makes a long-term beneficial change. Yes, I'm proud of the person that loses the weight, but it is more impressive when they keep it off. And maintain that. And yes, absolutely. We all have ups and downs, including myself. We all have obstacles. We all have struggles. But it's how long you revert back to the old things. I mean, every like I said, everybody's going to trip and fall. It's how quickly you can get back up and be consistent again. Yeah. That, that that's that's what impresses me the most. Yeah. And yeah. and there there are no shortcuts. Right. No, and that's just it. I mean, there's there's. I have a friend um, who is one of those people you're mentioning. Like, and she's one of the most inspiring people I've ever met for sure. And when I first met her, she told me that her goal was to do an Ironman and to lose a hundred pounds before she started the race. And 
you know, but the truth is, is that I think the overwhelming majority of people who set a goal like that will, you know, come pretty close to it. They'll lose an enormous amount of weight and then they end up back at their same weight at some point within a number of years. Um, but, you know, she was different and she was severely dedicated, let's say. And um, st- early on in her journey, I actually decided I was going to lead a bike ride with the San Francisco Tri Club. And um, and basically what I was going to do was this bike ride going over this thing called Alpine Dam. You basically go up, go up over a mountain and in this big loop. But it's a relatively difficult bike ride. It's almost 4,000 feet of climbing and it's like almost 40 miles long. But it's a lot of elevation gain and it's a, it's a stiff ride. So we were going to do it twice. And so I posted it on the SF Tri website, said, you know, you can come for the first loop or the second loop. The first one's going to start at this time. The second one will start at that time. So my friend Rich and I, Rich was my the person I rode with the most, basically. Rich and I decided we were going to do, of course, both loops and ride together and keep all the people together. And so she showed up and she was the only person other than uh, you know, me and Rich who did both loops, the only one, there were tons of people that showed up for either the early loop or the the later one, but she was the only one that did both. And she was just, you know, fully in and she's still fully in. She's still super active. She's lost way more weight than a hundred pounds and it she's completely changed her life, you know? And, okay. and that is, is a, a rare change I think in people, but it's really what needs to be the goal. It needs to be what people emulate when, they, when we're going to get rid of obesity in this country. Yeah, I, I love hearing stories like that. And, and here, anybody that's listening that wants that's overweight and wants to do an Ironman, you, you need to have, be on two separate journeys or, or look at this very, very differently. Um, you, you the, in my opinion, a super ineffective way to lose weight is to train for an Ironman. Right. <laughs> there, there's so many better ways to lose weight and get your life back, and then train for an Ironman. Right. Um, there's, there's just completely different strategies. There, it's just not, it's just not the most effective way to to lose weight. Um, I would definitely use a different modality to take someone to try to lose a hundred pounds, and then let's go on an Ironman journey. Mm-hmm. I think it would be far more enjoyable. Um, you would have, see far greater success, um, and you would learn what you need to learn because to, to, to train for an Ironman is just, we already said it, it's a huge learning curve. To lose 100 pounds is a huge learning curve. They're different learning curves. Right. And you, you need to learn different things in order to be successful, and I think that's one of the contributors to, to why people fail is they're putting way too much on their plate. Right. Um, I guess that was a, a, a pretty, <laughs> pretty good pun there, but... <laughs> They've, they're, they're putting too much on their plate as far as what they're expecting their um, self-control and their discipline to be able to accomplish to, to one, achieve the Ironman goal and also lose the weight. Now, right. a lot of people, a lot of people, people do it mm-hmm. and it's achievable. I just don't think it's the most effective way to do it. Go lose the weight via effective methods and then let's go have some fun. Let's go train for an Ironman. Right. Well, you know, along those same lines, I mean, this is all kind of related stuff, and it's just about what's possible and what's not possible. I know your book, Iron Cowboy, Redefine Impossible, um, you know, kind of speaks to all of these ideas. And I know you've been getting great reviews on the book, and um, and because of the book, you're getting invited to speak with uh, many business organizations, lots of uh, big companies, because, you know, your whole story is so motivating. and can not only help those of us who want to do Ironmans and not get injured, but 
also obviously can motivate people in the business world too. So what can you tell us about the book? Yeah, I, I think the book is, is, a, is a big surprise to people and, and it's not just an athletic memoir. It's not just about the 50 Ironmans and the 50 days. It's about the backstory and how we got to that moment. It's about the people that we came across and the stories from the 50. Um, and, and it's not just, like I said, an athletic memoir. It, it, it's about family. It's about sacrifice. It's about struggle. It's about overcoming. It's about uh, resilience. The, the shocking reviews that we're getting are the ones that are saying, I had no idea XYZ happened, or I had no idea this was part of your past, or I had no idea you came across this person, and it's amazing that they had that experience. Um, and so it's just really been really cool for us to get the different feedback from how it's impacting people. And, and, and we've branched out beyond just the triathlete wanting to read this book. We're having teenagers read this and, and business people read it and uh, athletic people read it. And then the spouse will pick it up that don't even have an interest in triathlon. And they're like, that was a really, really good read. And it's impacted me in, in this way. It's been a lot of fun for us to produce a book that is about our passion and, and triathlon. Um, but it has so many different elements to it that's appealing to such a, a wider demographic. Well, we'll make sure that we have a link to it in the show notes so people can access it. So how do people find you? Obviously, you're super busy, but obviously you're coaching. For those listeners who like to either meet you in person or get coaching help, how can they find you? What's the best place for them to reach out to you? The best place is ironcowboy.com. That'll link to all of our stuff. You can grab the, you can grab the book there. You can link to our coaching there. You can uh, click over to all of our social media and to our blog. If you want to go directly to the team coaching, it's teamironcowboy.com. And if you want to go grab the book, it's just ironcowboybook.com. I'm putting up my speaking calendar on there. I'm booked all the way through May already of next year, speaking in 20 different countries. Um, but if once we get the calendar up, um, if you see that we're going to be in your area and, and you, you have a company or an organization that you feel would, would want to hear our message in the story, uh, and, and trust me, you, you think you know the story, but you don't. <laughs> um, right. And, and uh, you know, some of, the, some of the best comments I get from my presentation is that they say, you know, I couldn't believe it. it. Within an hour, you made me feel so many different emotions. You made me cry. You made me laugh. And you empowered me to go do something incredible. And so th those are some of the best compliments that, that I can get as a presenter. Um, and, that, and that's why, you know, everybody asks me, what's next? Um, and I'm, I'm still competitive. I still love the sport. I mean, I did a, a three-hour ride this morning in the beautiful mountains of Utah with my wife and some friends. And uh, But what's next for me is to, to go out and to continue to empower and impact people. And the messages that we get um, really motivate me and make me want to continue to do this. It, it does provide a living for my family, but what's so cool is the messages and the, and the feedback that we get after somebody hears it and goes out and does something. And what's interesting is I don't hear from these people for, you know, six months to a year after I've spoken to them or, or impacted them because they want to go do something. I won't hear from them for a while, but then I get a message that says, you spoke to me a year ago and this is what it encouraged me to do. I went and did it. I just wanted to say thank you. And, you know, those are the, those are the best messages that a person can receive, knowing that you're having that impact and, and changing the course of, of individuals' lives who are looking for a change in support and wanting to do something different in their lives, but necessarily, you know, have the mindset or the knowledge or the power to be able to do it on their own. That's fantastic. Well, James, I'm really grateful that you came on the show. I know you've got a super busy schedule, but I think I certainly have enjoyed learning from you today. And I know our listeners 
listeners have as well. You know, all our listeners will get your book. They'll read it. Um, those who can will try to arrange speaking engagements for their organizations as well. But everybody stay tuned because I'm quite sure that James is not done. I'm sure that, uh, <laughs> there's some other outlandish event that is on the very uh, near horizon that we should stay tuned to see what he's up to. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.